Hey there, and welcome to the daily podcast where wisdom smacks us with kisses or love taps. I'm Michelle Spiva, a wisdom strengthening coach, your host, and practical priestess of wisdom. Join us daily to gain wisdom and mental strength as we tackle innovative thinking, address emotional and behavioral life traps, and yes, provide you with some practical how-tos to wrap it all up. So settle in or crank up the speed 2x, whatever gets your mental processes firing as we dive in. Stay tuned. Oh my gosh, you're still using that? How long has it been? I cannot believe that you have kept that all these years. Hey, this is Michelle Spiva, your Practical Priestess of Wisdom, and I want to welcome you to today's podcast of Wisdom Smack. So come on, get in here. Join me on the flip as we get to talking about what to do when things end, or as I like to say, until it ends. I'll see you on the flip. All right. Well, thank you for joining me on the flip. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you. Just want to make sure I say that to all my new listeners. I see you out there. Thank you so much for taking a chance to join me daily on this uh, journey of uh, wisdom and getting little wisdom smacks here and there. I appreciate you. Always don't forget to check the show notes and uh, you can definitely share, comment, send me messages. There's contact information in there and I appreciate you. So with that being said, you know, I like to make sure I do that every now and again. Let's get into it. So talking about until it ends and I want to ask you this, what happens when something ends and you're not necessarily expecting it? How do you handle that? Today, I want to be able to give you a few little wisdom smacks and nuggets to helpfully get you in that in that uh, mind flow to start preparing yourself because there are a lot of different things that are coming up, whether we want to deal with them or not. And it's part of the circle of life. And I'm not going to sing circle. Of, I'm not, not going to do it today. <laughs> so with that, Um, One of the first things that I want to talk about is from the moment we get here, when we uh, come from the womb, we are faced with endings. Oh, yes, we are. When we take in that first breath of air on this round, we release or end our association with life from a different realm that has been in our mother's womb for however long or from another plateau or reality from which babies come, okay? And can y'all tell I just watched a Netflix um, series on babies? But anyway, (laughs) that is one of the first endings. Even with the breath itself, there is an ending to the intake and then you exhale. And then you start it again. So each breath cycle we take has an ending. You end your inhale, you exhale, you end your exhale. And over and over again, we go through this sing sing song uh, seesaw 
of ending and beginning. And yet still, we don't tend to handle endings very well when they occur in obvious ways. But we do it all the time. So I just want to let you know, the first wisdom smack is understand that you're a pro at endings, whether you realize it or not. You are a pro. Go on, accept that, grab it, place it on your heart, and, and let it sink in. And your heart, your head, however you need to get it. Let that sink in. You are just as just as you are a pro at beginnings, you are a pro at endings. No matter what you feel, no matter what you see, you are a pro at it. If not, you would fail miserably and you would not be able to breathe correctly. All right. So that is one of the biggest aha wisdom smacks that I've had to realize because I'm going to just tell you, just even looking at what's going on at the time of this recording, the world, oh my gosh, is forced to deal with a lot of different endings. We are currently dealing with a possible pandemic And I don't even want to say possible because basically they're saying it's a pandemic and people are having to look at life as they know it ending, not necessarily through death, but through the realization that you may not be as safe as you think you are. And there was this other thing that I saw today and I wish I could give proper attribution to it, but it was a wonderful take on this word, get and give. And what the writer was saying was stop making it seem like people are going to get uh, things that you give. Talking about uh, clean air and 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 things like that. And he said instead, and it was I remember it was a, a, a man who identified as a man. Um, and, and instead he said, help people to understand that it is a right that they have to pursue. And I was like, that's a really good way of looking at it. Because inherently, it was also talking about an ending, an ending of the way you perceive your world, the way your perspective is. And so I just really kind of want to just talk about the fact that wisdom is trying to show us that there are a lot of endings that we need to be prepared to make for ourselves and that are happening whether we want them to or not. And I kind of, I didn't want to go too psychological, but I am going to put this little part in here. Don't worry, I'm going to lighten it up for you in just a bit. And, And so going back to babies, yeah. I figured we'll start with babies and we'll end up with old folk, okay? And so going back to babies, there are um, famous research observations that have happened over the years to try to get an understanding of how soon a baby understands attachment to others, to himself or herself and the like. And so there were famous experiments that were done back in the 70s and then revisited again uh, in the 90s. And then, of course, they're doing newer ones um, in the tw- in the 21st century. Um, but going back, this uh, the the original um, ways they observed these babies where they looked at their attachment and abandonment issues and how it was set up. They would have mothers and, and top, not toddlers, but mothers and babies between the ages of like nine months to a year. And they would have the moms engage with the baby, play with the baby and the like. And then they would have them leave the room and leave the, leave the baby. 
And I was like, oh my gosh, that's kind of traumatic, don't you think? But anyway, they would do this and the baby would look around, wonder, the baby would cry or whatever, you know, self-soothe and all of that. They tracked all of this. But that wasn't really the biggest thing. The biggest thing that they were looking for was when the mother came back in and re-engaged with the baby. And they noticed three different ways the baby would behave. Now, not the baby, but babies would behave. Uh, some babies would cry, the mother would console them, they'd get over their crying, and then they would be fine and they would go back to playing and, and, and doing all of, the, all of the stuff that they were doing before when the mother was there. So it was kind of like there was an ending and then there was a restart and then they went back to the norm. Okay. And at the time, this was the baseline that the researchers said was normal. Okay. Then on the other extremities, the two outliers, the left and the right, the when the mothers would come back in, if the babies felt abandoned, like, I can't believe you did that. That's that's unforgivable. <laughs> what would happen is the mother would come in, the baby would be unconsolable. And the mother would try to console it. And guess what the baby would do? The baby would pull away and not let the mother console them. Be like, basically, I'm done with you. And I was, I was when I was, you know, learning this in, in, um, in, in my um, formalized training, I was like, that's cold blooded <laughs> for a baby to feel like that. But they classified that as abandonment. Okay, but then on the other side, I guess the the right end of the bell curve, when the mothers came in, the babies, they were unconsolable. The mothers would hold them and the babies would be, you know, they would come back down, but they wouldn't let go. They would cling to her. Never again. Don't leave me. Don't leave me. Don't leave me. And they called this um, attachment. And and so even with that understanding of from the babies of how you deal with endings they said that this permeates into our life and that depending on how you handle abandonment betrayal uh dis you know distrust alienation of affection or all of those things you basically supposedly have this baseline where all is well and you move back, you know, going back or either you feel abandoned and you retreat or you feel um, abandoned and you cling even harder. And so it was about the attachment and abandonment um, situation. And people don't realize that in our society, we're dealing with those things all the time, all the time, even when you're dealing with inanimate objects. So Think about this. The average person uh, keeps a automobile for, well, depending on what region you live in and that kind of thing, the average person keeps an automobile for three to six years, okay? And then they have outliers, and those people will keep a vehicle for longer. And they looked at how when people would have uh uh, have wrecks, they would total the cars and those types of things. There were some people who exhibited these very issues that I've just talked about from the research with the babies, where either 
they would say, okay, that car, it, it's no good. It, it didn't last. It, it wasn't strong enough to, you know, withstand. So they vow never to buy that brand or, the, or, or, or that type of car again. Well, then you had others that would be like, I can't let it go. And they will go and look for the same type of car, refurbish it, bring it back to life. And they'll be like, I had my first one like this when I was X, Y, and Z. And I, I vowed to always keep it. And you can tell those people have the attachment side. And over and over again, we see these cycles. And so one of the wisdom smacks I wanted to bring up is that when we are dealing with endings, we learn a lot about ourselves and how we let go or how we say goodbye. And another thing that we learn is not only how we say goodbye, but we learn how our environment expects us to deal with endings. So let me give you a few little insights, if you will, about wisdoms and those types of things. Now, there is this uh, quote by uh, Neil Ferguson, and uh, he, he talks about it with regards to historical wisdom. And he says this, the dead outnumber the living by 14 to 1, and we ignore the accumulated experience of such a huge majority of humanity at our peril. And I was like, wow, that is deep. But I will also say this, is that when you look at large movements, governments, governing bodies, laws, uh, society, it, depending on the society, it will let you know how it deals with endings. There are some societies that honor and revere tradition and they don't let go. You will actually go to places and they are still doing things the same way they did them in the 1600s. But then you will go to other places and you will immediately know how they deal with endings. And that is swift and sure. And you'll be like, wow, I was just here five years ago. Everything's changed. (laughs) Nothing is sacred, honey. There are no sacred cows. And so understanding that you might be being groomed by the society around you with how you deal with endings is a big deal as well. And that goes back to that historical wisdom. So I don't want to venerate a society over another because I, I that's, that's not what I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to, you know, hopefully serve you with some wisdom and let you make the decision. There are uh, societies where they use the writings and teachings of elders and the like. And I wanted to I wanted to bring this historical quote, I mean, this quote about historical wisdom up because this quote is distinctively Western. When uh, Neil Ferguson talks about uh, us ignoring the accumulated experience of our ancestors and I notice that in other cultures, especially Asian and African cultures, we venerate our ancestors and we we learn from their sayings and and we we retell them. You know, the um, African American culture has the griot has the stories of our of our ancestors and our mothers and our and and, and all of that. And even with um, a lot of Asian cultures, and I don't want to group them all together because they are they are not monoliths. Uh, what I want to say is is like especially in some of um, the Asian countries where Confucius uh, is venerated. There are entire schools and, and, and formats that are set up to teach that way. 
of uh, wisdom and education, and they do not abandon what their ancestors have taught. And so dealing with endings for a culture is real important because whether you realize it or not, you're being shaped by it. And what happens when there's a juxtaposition between your personal attachment or abandonment uh, proclivity and your culture? Well, it makes it a little hard. I was watching um, the a couple of weekends ago, I was decompressing and, and just wanted to be in a good mood and I wanted it externally. <laughs> so I um, I watched on, I think it was Netflix, I watched uh, The Secret Life of Pets Part 2. And I was like, you know, Pixar, first of all, Disney Pixar is uh, one of my go-to teachers for great storytelling. And I watch the the movies for the entertainment, but I also make note of things that stand out and how they deliver story and the arcs they make and the like. But this particular one, I was noticing things about archetype. I was noticing things about uh, messaging and pattern. I guess that's where my mind is these days. And this time, I noticed that um, they made use of a of a particular character. And I don't want to give the story plot away if you haven't watched it. I mean, it's been out for a while, but I still don't want to do that. But there is one particular character that is an elderly person, elderly lady. And the way they p- be portrayed her uh, was very interesting. Um, and the reason they, I found it very interesting is because of the correlation between endings. Everything about her was from a bygone era. I mean, the, not everything, you know, like her, the way she dressed was cute and, and, and the like, but her hairstyle, uh, her decor of her living space, her car, all of these things were from a bygone era. And so they were equating old with ending. And it was subtle, but it was there. And I was like, wow, you know, because they use a lot of archetypes, even the way they draw the different characters. And, you know, they went with a lot of on the nose stuff, like the villain. The villain had sharp angles, pointy, thin, uh, just like you would think. There, There's the these two traditional uh, universal, they call them universal symbols that people immediately get when they are shown. And one of them is a spiky blob and the other one is a bulbous blob. And the spiky one with a lot of points is called kiki. And the one with the rounded ones that kind of like looks like a cloud is called boba. And what they do is they show them to people and they ask them, you know, which one is Kiki, which one is Boba. And inevitably, most people get it where the pointy one is with the Kiki and the rounded one is with the bubble. Okay. And they also ask which one is nice and which one is not. And over and over again, you can see that we attribute these archetypes universally over, you know, to things. And so, when we are looking at how our our world is sending us messages, and when I say our world, I am talking about our societal world, uh, we notice that there are certain things that are working to let us know if they are harmful or if they are benevolent and the like. And I will say that whenever we are looking at how we deal with endings, a lot of times we we associate them with sharp, pointy, painful 
We associate them with uh, unpleasant. And because we have all of that programming going on, it makes us really apprehensive to deal with endings. Now, going back to those babies breathing in and breathing out. One of the things that has always been something that you're aware of, but are you really, is that holding your breath. So say, for instance, you don't want anything to end. So you take in a breath and you hold it. But guess what? It's hard to stop things. It's hard to stop the ending of something. And you do it at your peril. Because if you hold your breath enough, your body is programmed to take over, put you in out, meaning you faint. And then it takes over to continue the beginning and the ending process over and over again, breathing in and out for you because it's that important. And it's kind of hard because until it ends means that there is always coming an end and we don't necessarily like it, especially if we can't control it. And and so it's weird that we look at the way we age, we, we look at how we try to put that at a distance and we sequester it. Because the one thing about that movie, The Secret Life of Pets, that old lady did not have people around her. She only had animals. Whereas all the other interactions with people were always with other people and pets. And it was slight, but it was there that endings are sequestered. They are put to the side. They are hidden because we don't like to deal with them. But in the last few minutes that I have here, I want to do what we do and be very practical about helping us to to regain that part of our life. Because you can't go around proverbially holding your breath in between breaths or life will kill you. Life will take over and it will do what it needs to to make sure that the cycle is obeyed and that it has its chance to run. And so to be able to help you stay in a, you know, somewhat control or whatever, um, let's do that. And I'm actually wanting to, to make sure that you understand that we're always preparing for some type of ending. Things are going to break. Things are going to come to an end. And it is up to us to have the wisdom to know this and be prepared for it. Um, even when we are talking about usage of products, um, even when you're talking about uh things, friendships, companies, they have a lifespan. And that's one of the things that is really hard to deal with. And I always look at this, and I am going to give you these practical things, but I wanted to just say this part. I, I always look at how when shows end and how certain fans act, it's almost like too easy that you can tell which people have uh, attachment issues because they sign petitions. They do things like, no, they they cling as hard as they can. They try to guilt you. They're like, no, it cannot be over. But then there are other people who, when they see the writing on the wall, and if there is any hint of it happening that that show is on the bubble, they stop watching. And those are your abandonment people. They're like, I'm going to leave you before you leave me. Um, when I used to uh, do... Um, uh, trainings in, in uh, personal development um, 
in-person deep dives. I it was even when I tried to to get people prepared for endings, and I would tell them, look, if you're starting to have these issues, if you're starting to look for for the reasons why you need to leave early, if you're if you came here knowing that you were going to make your flights leave earlier than we ask you to. You have abandonment <laughs> issues and we need you to work on that. Likewise, if you are a person you purposefully drove so that you could leave when you want to, and we, we basically have to tell you, you got to go because they, they, they need the room. You have attachment issues and over and over again. So I, I just kind of like not laugh at it because I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I don't have any of this stuff. No, I became aware of it and I had to start working on it. And, you know, when you know better and practice, you do better. And so this is kind of like just trying to help you understand that, especially in today's world, there are a lot of turmoils and and I've talked to you about the um, chaos that's in the air and chaos brings destruction brings death but it also brings newness and I kind of want to as best as I can serve you as your practical priestess to get you ready so here's another here's some uh, some things that I want you to consider when you're dealing with endings and how to get ready for them the first thing is to understand that everything has a life cycle things are not made forever and the reason why things are not made to be forever you can uh, is because there are certain laws, there are certain parts of being that are here, namely friction, wear and tear, um, cycles. Yes, the fact that we have a construct called time, we have days and the like, means that things are not made for permanency. Nothing is made to last. The only thing that is Permanent is change, and change is the big divider that says things come to an end. Friction, wear and tear, those are things within our world, within our lives that are there to help us be in obedience with that very thing of a lifespan and that there is a beginning and there is an end. And so taking that into consideration, here are some things that people might not want to hear, but are very practical. There's this principle called um, the Peter Principle. And the Peter Principle is usually uh, used in, in relation to business, but it works in life. And it basically says this, good workers will continue to be promoted until they end up in a role they're bad at. Yeah, you continue to progress until you hit friction, you hit uh, pushback, you hit adversity. And thus, that is an ending to that particular rise. And then you have to get more education, more skills, more learning to continue to grow. And a lot of people don't understand this. And thus, they think that an ending is permanent. And that's the, the big thing that I want to make sure you understand at this particular point, that endings are not permanent. Endings just mean it's an end to that thing. Now you get to have a beginning. The wonderful thing about what breathing teaches us when we come into this world is that as soon as something ends, a new beginning happens. That's why holding your breath is no good. It's no bueno because the new is ready to come in and you need to allow it to come in. And this, it, it, like I said, it, whew, it, it, it boggles my mind 
in that I find myself proverbially holding my breath for things. And I know better. And so I'm not going to say, oh, it's so easy once you know this. No, you have to really work at it all the time. Because our tendencies, depending on whether we have this attachment or abandonment issue, sometimes we cling too long or sometimes we abandon before we should. And so there's this, uh, this other thing called the concept of the cloud lifting. And when I say the cloud lifting, I'm not talking about the technological digital cloud of uh, digital bits and bytes. I am talking about an e- emotional or a zeitgeist kind of cloud of, of how the winds of change come in. And it's kind of funny that this at the time of recording, this is March. And I always uh, tend to think because we're coming in soon to the Ides of March. And I always think about March winds and change coming in, uh, moving even from uh, the uh, winter into the ushering in of the spring and all of those things. And so with the cloud moving, the whenever you think of it, it has always said that when the cloud moves, follow it. Yes, understand that pendulums swing, that peaks burst, that uh, blessings are p- blessings are mobile and they move, and you need to be willing to move with it. And understand this: when something has come of full age, old age, it's equated with a bygone era. And sometimes, if we are not watching ourselves, we might be trying to prolong something that has run its course. And it's also funny that we, as when you get to be um, older, sometimes if you don't watch it, depending on what your proclivities are of attachment or of, or of abandonment, you sometimes get equated with not letting go and holding on to old things and, and, and not moving with the times. And so don't become brittly static. Don't become stubborn. Don't become a person who just because something still works and you can find validity in it, doesn't mean that it has run its course. It's kind of like when I was talking in the A part about you still have that. Oh my gosh. And I understand about being uh, efficient and effective and practical, but there comes a time when you're just being a Luddite and you, and you need to move with the times. And it, it pains me to say this, but this is a wisdom skill that we have to learn. We have to know when the time has come to move on. And we have to know when we are causing ourselves hindrances by energetically holding our breath because we didn't like the fact that that previous breath was gone. So, yes, I know you guys, my time is up. It really is. And I do want to thank you for yours. This has been Michelle Spivey, your practical priestess of wisdom with another podcast of Wisdom Smack. I love you to pieces. Please don't forget to check the show notes. And thank you for liking, sharing, sending comments. And if there's something you'd like for me to cover in a podcast, let me know. Because guess what? We do these daily. Oh, yes, we do. And um, don't forget, there are other ways to support the show as well. Check the show notes. And until tomorrow, because this is daily, I am going to bid you adieu. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.
And that's going to do it for today's podcast of Wisdom Smack with Michelle Spiva. If you like this podcast, please help us get the word out. Like, comment, subscribe, and even share. And if you really like it, please help us continue to get the word out by considering using this show's link for Amazon. So when you want to go to Amazon and you do all of your general shopping, uh, please use michellespiva.com forward slash AMZ. It's simple as that. It doesn't cost you anything extra. And this show might receive a little bit of commission that will go towards helping to further get these episodes out to you and to others. So thank you so much for listening. This has been Michelle Spiva with Wisdom Smack. Bye.